Well, we're continuing looking at the sacred portion, looking at the tithe this morning, and um, looking at it biblically, of course, looking at all the objections to it and just trying to gain a biblical foundation. But uh, people who reject tithing usually say they're into grace giving. And so that's what we want to look at this morning uh, when the Bible talks about the grace of giving, amen, out of, um, well, we're going to use our same text, but obviously this comes out of Corinthians. And so let's line up some scriptures this morning. Our text is obviously our sacred portion, Genesis 2, 16 and 17. McLean, you can get that. I need 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8, Phil. I need 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, Lisa. I need 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Um, Ken, you can get that. Linda, you can get me 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3. Yours is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Uh, I need a couple more scriptures here. Um, Santina, you can get me 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5 a second time. And then I need someone to get me 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. It's kind of a little bit of a repeat. Uh, Tyson, you can get that. And we'll just stop right there for a moment. Looking at grace giving. So let's get our text this morning. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. We'll launch into this. Got quite a bit of stuff. Okay, so like we looked at last week, this is the sacred portion or the reserved portion. It's the one that God says it's mine for no other reason than it's his. Amen. So, but we want to look, first of all, at the error of grace giving. Because like I said earlier, usually when people talk about tithing, they don't tithe. They give the alternative. They say, well, we are grace giving. Amen. And so, but I believe it's based solely, first of all, it's based on a false uh, premise of tithing is of the law. Amen. Well, we're under grace, and so we're not under law, so we don't tithe, we give by grace. Amen. And so, let me give you a couple of the major scriptures, most of them are anyways, but for 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. Okay, so this is the basis of their, well, they say this is the basis of New Testament giving. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Okay, so together with 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this one, uh, this makes up grace giving. And so when you look at this, the two main components of so-called grace giving is 
first of all, the, the amount is totally up to you. As it says in chapter 9, verse 7, as he purposes in his, in his heart, amen. And so what they're saying is if there is a set amount, then that is the law, amen, and we're not under the law. So tithing is a set amount. This is the argument, right? And grace giving is we set the amount, amen. So the amount is totally up to you when it comes to grace giving. Secondly, is you only give when you are led by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. Okay, so in other words, it's not an obligation, it's a matter of generosity. So this is what they're, these are the components that, um, that are written in uh, this whole idea uh, or spoken of rather by this whole idea of this is what grace giving is. We don't tithe, we believe in grace giving. And so they set the amount and of course it's not an obligation, you feel led by the Spirit as God deals with you, Amen. So what we want to look at this argument is, first of all, we want to look at what's wrong with this argument. First of all and foremost, right, before I get your hand, first of all and foremost, it's on a false premise. And that false premise, again, we, we repeat ourselves, right? It's on, it's on the premise that tithing is of the law. Amen. It's been done away with by the cross. But the point is, it predates the law. We obviously looked at that with Abraham uh, the principle behind tithing, as we said last week, you know, it's the surrender to God, it's his lordship, it's trusting God, and it's worshiping God. That premise never changes. Amen. So that stays. Amen. And that principle then, of course, is reinforced in the New Testament. It's not replaced in the New Testament. Linda. Right. Right. Okay. And so we're we're going to get to this a little bit. Okay. Um. So we're we're looking at this. We're looking at a few things, anyways. But you're right. I I understand what you're saying. It's based on the false premise. Of course, it violates biblical interpretation. And that's the context, right? You interpret things in its context. And if you look at this, you're looking at what's around this subject. If you look at 2 Corinthians in 8 and 9, it is not talking about the regular, in, regular giving of your income. Amen. That is not even involved there. Amen. It doesn't apply to regular giving. And so... Uh, you know, it was actually a special offering he's taking to relieve the, what was going on in Jerusalem. They don't have welfare. It's, there's no way to get finances any other way. So the church is taking care of people in the church. And they say, Paul says, we're, we're going to take an offering to send relief back to Jerusalem. 
And so, yeah, I, you know, I would agree you should be led by the Spirit. If God puts an amount on your heart, then that's what you need to give. Give cheerfully, not grudgingly, but yes, you need to give. And so that's what he's doing. He's taking a special offering here, amen, and he's not talking about, you know, your regular giving. Verse chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 3. Okay, so obviously he's not talking about regular giving, amen, uh, or worship to God, amen. This doesn't apply there. It's a special fundraising offering, okay? And we're going to look more into it a little bit later as we kind of take it apart a little bit more. But this is pretty obvious right at the get-go. And so, you know, he's taking a special offering. This is not the normal offering. It's kind of the offering you take for missions, right? I take a missions offering. I'm, I'm taking a pledge every month. I want you to set something aside. It's no different than this. It's exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing exactly what Paul's doing. Every month, I want you to set something aside for missions. I'm not going to tell you what to give, but if God lays an amount on your heart, then that, that's what I want you to give. That's what we're going to do. We're going to help out the church in Prescott or help out our fellowship to reach the world with missions. If we can't do it ourselves, we can help others do it as well. Amen. And we take part of the fruit of that. Whether we're planting churches in China or India or wherever they're going, South America, your pledge, amen, goes toward missions. You set aside something every month. That's what I'm asking you to do. Whether you do it or not, it's totally up to you. I mean, if you get real grouchy about it, then you probably won't give. But God loves a cheerful giver. So I don't mind you give it grudgingly, all right? It's like, another pledge. It's like, okay. If you can't get over that, then, then don't give, okay? That's my thought on the matter. I mean, if it really bothers you that much, don't give. We're not like spying on your checking account. Yeah, checking your bank account here. I don't see anything coming out for missions. No, we're not doing that because it's a special offering. And yeah, I want you to feel led by the Spirit. Right? I want you to feel led by this. I want God to speak, speak, speak a specific amount. He said, what if he doesn't? Okay, well, he doesn't. Then why not give anyways? It's up to you. I give. I didn't feel a specific leading of the Holy Ghost to like, you need to give this much, you know. I didn't feel that either, but I felt I needed to like, you know, put into something a little bit more sacrificial than five bucks, but I did. And so the whole thing was, is, you know, I just, and I'm fine with that, right? I'm not grudgingly like squeaking every month. It's like, oh my gosh, dude. All right, too long on that point. Number three, it doesn't, this whole thing about led by the Spirit doesn't apply to anything else, does it? I mean, it's interesting here. You only give if you're led. In other words, they say it's legalism. If you just do it by principle, amen, that you have to be specifically led, amen. But that doesn't apply to any other scriptural command. Do you have to feel led by the Spirit to forgive? 
Do you have to be led by the Spirit to be faithful to your spouse? I mean, think about it. You know, there's, there's a lot of things the Bible says, don't do this or do this. And you got to feel led by that? Only in tithing do you have to feel led. You know what I mean? When it comes to money, then all of a sudden we get real spiritual. Well, if it applies to money, it applies to everything. So you can live any way you want to because we're under grace now because that's where it usually goes. We're under grace now so you can live any way you want to and you just have that little communication, you know, that like, you know, your private number to the Holy Ghost. Better turn off my phone. <laughs> And when he tells you to, you know, to, you know, live clean or he tells you to do these things, then, you know, of course, then by all means, do it. But if you're not feeling led, then it's ridiculous. That's my thought on it. So as we look at this, what's wrong with, the, with, with this argument? It's based on a false premise. It um, violates the text and the context. And again, this whole idea of being led is... Um, only applies when you're talking about somebody's wallet. The scriptures go against their own argument. Let's read it again, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 5. So obviously Paul has already challenged them on a previous visit. But they're not coming through. So, so much for being led by the Spirit. You were led by the Spirit to give the last time I challenged you to give. And you haven't given yet. So you know what I'm going to do this time? I'm going to send somebody there. And we're not going to take a collection. Have it set aside already. And we will pick it up. In other words, if they're so spiritually led and that's so, uh, you know, that works so well, then how come now he's exhorting them? Now he's challenging them. He's confronting them. No, you need to give. You promised to give. Now cough it up is what he's saying. Amen. Amen. And so he's sending someone to urge them, to influence them. Amen. He even goes as far as using an example of Macedonia. Macedonians gave, and they don't got as much as money as you do. They gave out of their poverty. What he's doing. So being led, I'm not saying it's not valid. Being led is valid. I understand that. But it's not the only factor involved. Amen. Now, as we can see here, obviously it's not enough. Because how many ever been felt led to give and all of a sudden you have an argument in your head? <laughs> I feel led to. What? <laughs> Let me pray here real quick. Let me speak in tongues or something because I don't know. That amount ain't right. <laughs> too many zeros in that baby. <laughs> like, well, what's wrong with my head? 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 again. Okay, so think about this. This is the verse that's used for grace giving. Verse 1, I have given orders. That doesn't sound very graceful. <laughs> yeah. 
you must do also. Isn't that compulsion? Isn't that what Paul said? <laughs> he said, you must do also. Well, it's, I, we believe in grace giving, you know, and it's like, well, led by the Spirit. That's not, what he's, that's not the language he's using. Verse 2, let each one of you. In other words, everyone is to give, amen. It has nothing to do about being led. He's not saying, you know, I know there's going to be people here, you're going to be feel led, and others, well, you know, hey, maybe next time. He says, no, every one of you need to give. So he's, this is using grace giving, okay? Every one of you. On the first day of the week, verse 2, regularly, amen, right after you get paid, when you come to church. In other words, you should be wise to regularly set aside a portion. So Paul's giving him specific instruction. He, 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 here's a man who's telling them when to give. Isn't that legalism? Isn't that kind of like sounding like the law? And they use this verse to justify grace giving. But as you can see, uh, Paul is giving him specific instructions. Everyone should give and when to give. Amen. Linda? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I have no problem with being led by the Spirit. I have no problem with God speaking to us and leading us. But chances are probably God is leading us in directions that we might not normally take, you know what I mean? I mean, especially if in the realm of giving, you know, we're looking at this pot of gold we have in the savings account that we've been saving for so long to buy this personal item. And then all of a sudden, you think you're going to come up with giving like half of that? No. Come on, be, be honest. I mean, you know, you're just going to like, you know what, I've been saving this money for a car for the last five years. I'm just going to give half of it. It's like, that's got to be the Holy Ghost that does that. I mean, that's all of us, you know, I mean, me included. It's like, now I ain't going there. You know, that's car. This is the other stuff. Okay, I'm going to reach into this pot. You have to have the Holy Ghost to say, reach into the other. Say, God, help me. <laughs> verse, verse, uh, verse 2 again, as he may prosper or in keeping with his income, or the New Century Version says, as you have been blessed. Amen. So obviously he's saying something very logical. He says if you got more money, you ought to be given more money. Whoa. Right? If, if you have more. He, in other words, he says it's proportionate. Isn't that legalism? It's like, it, you know, it's like it's rules or something. Well, that's exactly what it is. Paul is taking an offering. And he's saying we need money to send to relief to the saints or whatever collection he's collecting for here. And he's saying, look, you know, obviously some people are not going to give as much as others. But other people should probably give more than others anyways because they have more to give. So he's, he's being very specific here. He's giving, as an apostle, he's giving specific some things. You know what I'm saying? He's, this is when you do it. This is how you do it. And you know what? To a certain extent, this is how much you should be giving according to your income. So it's the whole idea behind the grace giving. They use these scriptures, but they never stop to, to look at them to see exactly what the context is and the fact that, you know what, you can make a case for legalism just in these scriptures alone. 
Any thoughts? <laughs> Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sacrificial giving, but also just the fact that, you know, uh, we, we worship God with our substance, you know what I'm saying? In other words, it's, yeah, it's not all take and no give kind of thing, you know. Let's go, Phil. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Usually if you're led, it's probably within the confines of Scripture. But if you're led to something outside of the Scriptures, then you're probably in trouble, you know. I mean, if you feel led to bark like a dog this morning, we'll probably stop you because that's not in the Scriptures, okay? I just felt led to go, hur, hur, hur. it's like, are you kidding me? It's like, you do that one more time, you're going to do it outside, okay? Because you're not being led. You're being crazy. Okay, let's look at, uh, secondly, the grace, the grace of giving, okay? Um, and we're going to get back to legalism, by the way, too, just to help you out there. A little shot on legalism before I finish. But um, for, uh, I need a couple of scriptures here. I need 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Santina, verses 1 and 2. I need 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5, McLean. I need uh, Galatians 2 verse 16, uh, Nick, I need Luke 18, 11 through 14, Linda, James 2, 17 and 18, I'm going to feel you guys let out over here, <laughs> Melanie, James 2, 17 and 18, and I need Luke 19, 8 and 9, Phil, okay, that'll finish this up by the way, thank you. So let's look at the grace of giving, amen. So, I mean, what is the grace of giving? This is what we're going to be asking here. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. Okay, so he's saying, you know, let's look at it. He's saying they are very poor people. Um, and yet they are very generous people. They're generous and they're giving. So Paul does use them as an example. But he starts out, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed upon people. In other words, here are people that are poor, and yet they're taken out of their poverty and they're giving. So you don't have to be rich to give, you know. It's like a woman in England. I've used this illustration before. She said, if I win the lottery, it's like, why are you playing the lottery? If I win the lottery, she says, I'm going to give, you know, all this money to the church. You know, it's like, you know, if you're not faithful in little, you're not going to be faithful in much. So I can guarantee you if she wins like, you know, three or four million pounds, 
my name ain't even going to come up in her head, you know what I mean? Potter's house, he's like, what? <laughs> Did somebody say something? You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. So, but the point is, these people are poor, and the grace of God was bestowed upon them that even these poor people reached into their pockets and gave, according to Paul, quite liberally. Santina? Yeah. And this is something we've tapped into around the world because that was always the mentality of missions is that America just goes into these countries and they just dump bucket loads of money because they're poor people. And it's like, but you can't get anything off the ground. There's missions organizations in these nations to this day, you know, almost like 100 years later, and they're just still in that same place. It's like, listen, they, if they're going to reach their nation, they're going to need some money. If, if we're going to, you know, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not, the burden's not on us. The burden's on them. We go in and we disciple men, but you're going to have to reach your own nation. I don't care how poor you are. These people are poor. Paul's like, he's, he's pulling offerings. He's like, no, man, we serve a big God. And that's what you're saying. See, you know, all of a sudden now Africa and the Philippines, Mexico, any other place that you can think of, they pay for their own. They're sending churches all over the world. But they're so poor. It's like, God's so big. Amen. And when you get the grace of God involved, no telling what's going to happen. Amen. This is what's happening here. This is actually what is stating the grace of giving. It's talking about a supernatural work of God in our hearts that causes us to be generous and causes us to bless others. It's the grace of God that anybody puts any money in a plate. Because we are stingy to the bone. Come on. You get saved and all of a sudden, it's like the old preachers used to say, if your wallet doesn't get saved, you ain't got saved yet. I don't care what you believe. If it ain't reached from here down to here, we got to disconnect. Amen, because it hasn't gone from here to the heart, because once it gets in the heart, it'll reach the bottom. Amen. And so the truth of the matter is here, this is the grace of God. Grace is supernatural, amen. It's not what would be normal. It's not normal for extremely poor people to give. That's the grace of giving. That's the grace of God bestowed upon these people, amen. See, salvation changes our orientation. It changes how we think about money. It better, or you're in trouble. It better reach down there because ultimately this is a big issue. You cannot serve God and mammon. If you don't get this dealt with, eventually mammon is going to grow to a place where you're no longer going to serve God. It's one of those big things. You know what I mean? It's as big as getting saved and saying, I need to be delivered from drugs. Or I need to be delivered from alcohol. Or I need to be delivered from pornography. These are big things. And I'll tell you what, you need to be delivered from covetousness, which is idolatry. 
Covetousness is one of the most talked about sins in the Bible. More than sexual immorality. So if you can get off of the, the perv, you can be set free from covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is I can't get my hands to open up for somebody. The plate goes by and it's like, I get this arthritis or something. <laughs> can somebody pass this plate by me? Can somebody pray for you to get delivered? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the truth. You'll never realize it when you're, when you're a new convert. You never realize those things. They're just so powerful. I thought alcohol was powerful. I thought a lot of things were powerful. But covetousness is powerful. One that I never thought about. So this is grace. Amen. Selfish people don't want to be generous. Because we are selfish to the bone, every one of us. It's, our, it's the nature of sin, selfishness. How are you going to get selfish people to give? Grace. It's going to be supernatural, amen. And this is what we're talking about. Grace is why they gave. I'm talking a miracle, amen. Salvation changes how you look at money. 2 Corinthians 8.5. So interesting, huh? They gave themselves to God first. And out of giving yourself to God, there's a gratitude to the God of heaven who has just saved you, freely taken your sin, that nasty sin, and thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness. There's a gratitude that comes out of our hearts. Amen. And what is birthed in its place is a heart of generosity. There's a heart of giving. Amen. So it's like the Bible says, we love him because he first loved us, amen. We give because he first gave. Yes. There's something of an investment in our lives, amen. They first gave themselves to God. And because they did that, they opened themselves up to the supernatural, the miraculous, the grace of God to come down upon their lives. So when they pulled an offering, it was not hard for them to take this hand and reach back into their pocket and pull out their wallets, in fact, it was very easy. He said they gave above. They gave beyond. They gave, in their deep poverty, they gave beyond. It's, Paul's like, this is crazy. What these people gave compared to what they had. That's the grace of giving. Amen. It's not, oh, I just do what I want to do. Not, not feeling led again. <laughs> That's like five Sundays in a row. <laughs> ching, ching, jackpot. No. Does somebody have a hand over here? No? Yeah? I'm sorry. <laughs> the hand back here. Thanks, Phil. You know, over the years, there's, there's been people that come in and, and uh, they, they, they give like some little government check of some kind, a little whatever, a little deal. And they're just, you know, they pray, oh, pray for this, pray for them. They're satisfied to live with just giving this little check. Whereas, you know, I see that. Yeah. But also for you, God's got to have the needs of the kingdom in you. But God wants 
the black man who gave his. And, and so he, 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 he went up God by your own decision. God wants to move you on. You can't face that. Yeah, very true. Anyone else? The grace of giving. It's supernatural. That's whenever you got grace involved, you're talking something supernatural. You're not talking something natural. Grace does grace is not the the, 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 the umbrella to let you do anything you want to do. It's just nuts. That thinking is just so twisted. Amen. Okay, let's Lisa. Yeah, the, it all links, you know what I'm saying? You get saved, you get delivered, your life starts producing fruit, you start becoming a different person. But there's more fruit to come, you know what I'm saying? And as, as you start obeying God, your life starts bearing fruit. And sometimes people get to that very place of obeying God, and they stop bearing fruit. It's when God can start putting his fingers on some things and you start making some decisions. Tithing is one of the earliest places. It's one of the earliest spots in our walk with God. It's way back there. It's not way up here. Obviously, we continue to tithe. I understand that. But it's one of those hurdles that we, we, we jump over, if you will, of obedience that leads to more things that God has for us. It's not way down the road. It's actually way back there. It's kind of like when you first get saved, all the dead fruit falls off, you know, all the stupid stuff, you know, the drugs and the alcohol and the perversion and the foul mouth and all that garbage. That just does, drops off so easily. But then God wants to produce more fruit. And it, that comes only when we start giving ourselves to the things of God. And tithing is one of the verse earliest ones. And when a person sets their heart to say, you know what? The tenth is the Lord's, and offering besides. I tell you, something happens. Something happens, something accelerates in their lives. This is not a small issue, what we're talking about. This is a huge issue. I mean, if grace giving is so wonderful. And look at our church today. Our church is impotent. I think it was Christianity Today or something like that said, this is going to be the year of the woman <clears throat> in churches. I'm thinking to myself, I'm sorry, you know, it, it's, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. This is this whole idea that women are going to be running churches and running the whole show and such, and it's the, the Christian world's going every direction. They're just going in crazy places, you know what I'm saying? And I tell you, you know, you got to go back to the beginning. What is it? It's, it's, it's the holiness of life. It's obedience to the Word of God <clears throat> that bears fruit, not your stupid ideas. And this is a stupid idea, this whole grace-giving thing. 
I don't care what ministries or I don't care how many people or that doesn't matter. You know, you can put a you can put a million people in a football stadium and they can all be going to hell. You know that. It's like that doesn't give credence to what they're doing on the field. It gives nothing to it. So it's no different in all the churches. They can have mega ministries, but you know what? Are you bearing fruit? Is lives being changed? Are people getting saved as a result of it? Let's look at grace and work. Because there's a major error that occurs, I think, when you misunderstand grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's unearned favor. Um, And the false premise is simply this. The law was works. Amen. I work hard, so God will accept me. And so, obviously, we understand that when you look at the Pharisees and the old law. I mean, the Pharisees had, what, an extra 613 or something like that, 17. I can't remember the exact number of laws that they've added. And so, in our minds, grace is no works. That if you have works, then you don't have grace. In other words, they're on two ends of the magnet. Amen. You know, my salvation is absolutely free. It's not earned. That is true. I can't earn what I have. I can't be good enough. Even buckets of goodness will not give me salvation. Uh, It just ain't going to happen. It can't happen. It's impossible. Amen. And so this whole idea that grace and works are two opposite ends is actually not true. Genesis 2, verse 16 Galatians. Did I say Genesis before? Okay, so I mean, obviously we're, we're right on track with that, right? In other words, I'm made right by God by faith. My salvation is a work of grace. It's supernatural. It wasn't because I was good or I said the right prayer or I did this or did that or I went to the right church or anything like that. It's because of God's grace. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's, this is falsely interpreted saying that any action that you do after salvation is legalism or you are being legalistic. In other words, for me to stand here and say, well, the tenth is the Lord's and offerings beside. That's legalism. That's legalism. You know, but then isn't everything legalism? You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. Oh, no, 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 no. What about go to church? You need to be in church. Oh, here we go again. Woo, woo, cult, 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 cult. Because they, they misinterpret legalism. What about avoid sin? I had an example of a man who he was talking to his co-worker that he got saved and he was dating at the time when he got saved a girl. Or later on, rather, rather, he started dating a girl. And he, he made the statement, he says, we're not going to sleep together before we get married. He said, we're going to keep our relationship clean and then we're going to get married. And the words out of his mouth were, that's legalism. 
And he brought it out like, you know what, this is what my church preaches, that you need to live clean and, you know, you need to keep, keep, you know, keep yourself pure and then get married. That, you know, you know they, my church said, if, if you sleep together, we ain't marrying you. And the guy said, that's legalism. That's crazy. Listen, if you trust, this is the clarity. If you trust for salvation, or if your trust for salvation is based on works, that's legalism. That is legalism. You want to talk legalism, it comes down to one factor, your salvation. You don't have to get to be saved. You don't have to say the prayer and be baptized. To be saved, you don't have to say the prayer and be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. To be saved, you don't have to do anything but put your faith in Jesus Christ. Right? That is it. There is nothing added to it. Have, have you been baptized in the name of... Shut up. <laughs> I put my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And by grace I have been saved. Whether I was baptized in this name, that name, even whether I was baptized at all right at this point. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Anything else? Yes, you are right. It is legalism. Luke 18, 11 through 14. So in other words, here's the tax collector and the, Pharise and the, and the, and the uh, Pharisee. And the one who knows he doesn't deserve it is the one who went home justified. Justified is another word for he's saved. In other words, justified is like just as if I never sin sinned. When I got saved, I, I was justified by God. Not because I tied twice a week or tied you know, my income, not because I fasted twice a week, amen, because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Just that simple. Do I deserve it? Oh, you live long enough, you know you don't deserve it. It's like, yeah, I deserve nothing. Amen. But see, the New Testament is filled with commands. It's filled with actions. We are told to pray. We are told to walk worthy. We're told to put off the new man and put on the new man. We're told to forgive. These are actions, amen. We're told to stop lying. Isn't that what Paul said? Stop lying. He says stop pilfering. You know what pilfering is, don't you? That's taken from your boss because your company that you work for has a lot more money than you do and they're not going to miss this tool. It's called stealing. That, call it what the Bible calls it, stealing. Paul tells them. He tells them that in the Word of God. You find it kind of funny, you know? Now that you're saved, stop lying. It's like, whoa, Paul. <laughs> stop. Forgive one another. 
Stop arguing. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. These are all what you would maybe consider legalism. Amen. See, in the Old Testament, actions were required for salvation. They were required to be right with God. Jesus, amen, he's finished the work of salvation. Nothing can be added or trusted in for salvation. Amen. The error of works is we trust in ourselves. That's the error of works. That because I do this, because I come to church three times a week, because I read my Bible, because I pray, all of a sudden that makes me right with God. Amen. You know what makes you right with God is you being right with God. <laughs> you doing what is right. That's what makes you right with God. Amen. That's the bottom line. So the whole idea is then, why are we always commanded in the New Testament to act or to work? James 2, 17 and 18. Okay, in other words, if salvation is real, if it's genuine, then it's going to produce certain desires, it's going to produce certain actions. That's simple. That's, that's the actions, amen. They don't buy my salvation, right? My actions don't buy my salvation just because I'm in church three times a week, just because, you know, I tithe, just because I do all these things. It doesn't give me my salvation. It just shows me that I have salvation. It just shows the evidence of salvation. It's the fruit of salvation or the proof of salvation. It's not works. I'm not working for my salvation. I already got that. Right? I already got salvation. I'm not working for my salvation. I have it. Amen. So these acts or these legalistic actions, if you will, that people keep talking about are really fruit. They're proof. They're evidence. Like James says, I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, there's going to be a connection here. And faith and works were separated, right? He's already got the faith. He said, but my works is going to be evidence of my faith. Luke 19, 8 and 9. Okay, so he's not be saved because he gives money. He gives money because he's saved. All right? This guy gets saved, and immediately what happens? His wallet got saved. Pretty powerful for a tax collector, you know what I mean? Because to be a tax collector, really, you had to put up with a lot of shame and, and, and just, you know, your, 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 your own people didn't like you. They hated you. But it's like, eh, it's worth the money. <laughs> I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm living the high life. You know what I'm saying? So you're, you're, you're being a, you're a Jew to be a tax collector is like, he's, he's, he wants the money. He's in it for the money. Come on. Because it's just, they, they hassled you to, to no end. I mean, you were just hated by everyone. And so for this guy to get saved and go, you know what? I'm going to give this and do that and do this. I tell you, he didn't give money to get saved. He got gave money because he was saved. Amen. So the argument of anti-tithers is 
is tithing is used as a weapon. You're not saved unless you tithe. Amen. But that's incorrect. Amen. Okay, that's, that's not what's being said here or probably anywhere else, to be honest with you. All right? Uh, so the, the adding works as a requirement to your salvation will always be wrong. So if you tithe, that doesn't mean you tithe because you're saved. You don't tithe to get saved. You tithe as a result of your salvation. It's just that simple. You, you do things as a result. You live for God as a result of being saved. The thief on the cross, he couldn't tithe, he couldn't be baptized, he couldn't speak in tongues or anything else, amen. But he was saved. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because he put his faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And then he hung there and died. <laughs> he, didn't have a, he didn't have a chance to do anything, get right with anybody, you know what I mean? Forgive, you know, go out and forget, you know, tell people anything, restitution. Had no time for anything. Amen. See, the truth is, tithing is evidence of a surrendered heart. It's, it's an evidence of a heart that trusts God. Amen. When it's missing, then it's evidence of an unsurrendered heart or an untrusting heart. Amen. So the kind of heart will continue to make the same decisions that it's making there. If you make a decision not to tithe, you are going to make poor decisions down the road from that point on. But the opposite is true. When you start making those decisions, as I said, bearing fruit. If your life is to bear fruit, you've got to first of all start being obedient in those early things. And tithing is one of them. And from there, you'll be amazed how your life produces fruit in other areas. Tyson? Yeah. You can't trust God in Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Where your treasure is, your heart is also, Jesus said, you know. I mean, if that wasn't like the statements of statements, I don't know what was. It was just like he just cut it right down. Care about God doesn't need your money. <laughs> But he wants your heart. And he realizes the two are connected very closely together. It's just true, right? The root of all evil is the love of money. And all you got to do is just open your eyes and read the papers and read headlines and things that go on today. It's about money. It's about money. I mean, people will sell their soul for money. They'll sell their soul to keep their job, to do can, you know, to keep their high standard of living. They'll sell their soul, man. They really will for that. It goes on all the time. People sell out for money. Don't sell out the kingdom for money. Amen. Give and it shall be given unto you. Amen. Any thoughts? Just kind of gives you an understanding of grace giving this morning. It's the grace of God that you give anything. <laughs> Amen. It's the power of God that moves on the human heart. Amen. Lord bless you. Let's get ready for church.